Psalm 18 and verse 43, and we're going to read the rest of the chapter. You have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. Foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. Then verse 50, great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David, and his descendants forevermore. Lord, this morning as we uh, bring this series to a close from Psalm 18, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts in a very real, a very profound, and a very powerful way. We want to hear from you today. Lord, if um, I just speak and there's no anointing, if the Spirit of God is not speaking to our hearts, then all that is taking place is just a speech. But I pray, Lord, that the Word of God as I preach today, would come alive in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits. I pray, God, for your anointing to be upon my life, not as one who stands here deserving or have earned, or have earned it, but as one who needs it. I pray, God, that you would help me to speak with clarity and simplicity, and I pray that the word of the Lord would change and transform our hearts and lives today. I ask God that every person in this room would have their attention supernaturally arrested in these next few moments. Let us hear that which God would say to us. Give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to his church today, I pray. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Beginning beginning next Sunday, um, I'm gonna preach a four-part series comes right out of Romans 8, about verses 13 through 17 or 18. And the series is titled, just kind of for um, drawing factor, fear factor. Um, I said last week, I will not be swallowing any worms or anything like that. But um, although I've been told that more people would come if I did, but if they're that reprobate, they can stay at home and somebody else can reach them. So, uh, but we're going to be talking about fear and what fear does in our lives and how being free from fear uh, can really enhance our walk and does enhance our walk with the Lord. But today we're bringing to a close a series from Psalm 18, The Lord is My Strength. Let me very quickly review where we've been the last two weeks. It's been a three-part series. In week number one, we talked about the Lord being our strength by protecting us. In the first 19 verses of this psalm, and there were five things that kind of make up what that looks like. Number one, he inclines his ear to us. That is, he listens to us when we pray. He directs his attention toward us, makes an effort to know what it is that is going on in our lives. I love this when he allocates his inexhaustible resources on our behalf. There's nothing that God 
uh, will not do for us, nothing that he will not release um, in order for us to have victory. Number four, he gives hope to us to realize the promise to us. And number five, we learn that he affirms his delight toward us. Even when we are in the worst of situations, he delights in us. And last week we talked about uh, the Lord is our strength by equipping us. And I shared with you three things in, in which he equips us. Number one, he rewards our righteousness, which is really the righteousness of Jesus that has been imparted to us. He transforms our brokenness. How many are glad Jesus transforms your brokenness? And then thirdly, he perfects our weakness, giving us victories that seem almost impossible. Today, I want to talk about the Lord being our strength in that he exalts us. I'm going to talk about what that looks like, what that means. This psalm, Psalm 18, is a psalm of both gratitude and a psalm of hope. J. Clinton McCann Jr. said this, Psalm 18 should be interpreted not only as a psalm of thanks, for when times are good and all seems bright, but also as a psalm of hope, for when times are hopeless and all seem dark. How many have ever had one of those times when things seem a little bit hopeless and times seem to be dark? This psalm is not just a psalm of thanks for the good times, it's a psalm that we sing even when the times do not seem to be that great. It's much like the song that Habakkuk sung that Brandon read at the outset of our service this morning. Though the fig tree, look at it, may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the field yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, though the and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet and make me to walk upon my high hills. So this is a psalm of gratitude, but it is a psalm of hope when things don't seem to be going so well. Now, I'm going to have to take you real quickly to um, a place that we can kind of unpack what is happening in this psalm. There is something we need to understand as we read, especially these final verses of Psalm 18. And that is there really is a threefold um, understanding, a threefold unveiling of this psalm. This psalm speaks, number one, and very specifically of David. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But secondly, it speaks of Christ, our Messiah, that in David's day, he was looking forward to the Christ that would come. He was expecting the Messiah. But this psalm also speaks in a very real and profound way to us. Now, let me begin by talking about how this speaks of David first. In Verse number one, really the superscription and verse number one, we read these words to the chief musician. This is a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love you, O Lord, 
my strength. So first and foremost, when we read this psalm, we are thinking about the life of David and how God delivered him time and time again from some very real enemies, especially his escapes from Saul, who on numerous occasions, because of his jealousy, tried to kill David. One person has said that it is a theological interpretation of David's career as king of Israel. God brought him through time and time again. So it is, first of all, a psalm about the life of David and his struggle with his enemies and the victories that God brings to him. But secondly, there is also a messianic revelation that takes place in the psalm. Now, let me just do a real quick 30-second little teaching. When we talk about messianic psalms, we are talking about psalms that point to a Messiah that was to come, and Christ was the Messiah. The Jews were expecting a Messiah to come. They were hopeful that one day someone would come that would fill all the prophecies or fulfill all the prophecies of the Messiah. And so there are several psalms that are considered messianic psalms. These are psalms that when you read them, there are certain things in them that could never be fulfilled by a human being. It has to be someone that is, in this case, both human and God, but it was something that the average human could not fulfill. So this part of this psalm is pointing to and picturing the Messiah that would come. Let me give you an example. In verse number four and five, we read these words, um, yeah, verse 4 and 5, we, do we have that up there? We jump to 50. Go back up one more. Verse 4 and 5, there it is. And, and the pains of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. That's not talking there about David. That's talking about Jesus who was in the grave and death could not hold him. So this is clearly a psalm also, not only that talks about David, but points to Jesus as well. And then in verse 50 that we just saw up there, great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Now, those of you who know the Old Testament understand that God had given a promise that through the seed of David, one would always reign as the king over Israel, and Jesus was that seed. He came from the line of David. Everybody look right here for just a moment. So this Psalm number one is about David. Secondly, it is about the Messiah to come. The Messiah and David conquered their enemies but the Messiah, Jesus, conquered his enemies and won the last battle against death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says the last enemy was death, and we know that Jesus conquered death. But number three, this psalm also speaks to us, both in the present, promising us strength, and in the future, providing us hope. The resurrection of Jesus, please get this. How many believe Jesus rose from the dead? The resurrection of Jesus has implications for us in our everyday life. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 19, because I live, you will live also. And in Philippians 3.10, Paul said, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection. 
Paul wasn't just talking about in the future. Paul wanted to live in the power of the resurrected Christ now. So this psalm, listen to me, portrays the victories of David. It prefigures the victories that would be accomplished by Christ the Messiah. And it gives assurance that his victory is ours. Now, in this moment, not just in eternity, but in this moment now, we have power in the resurrected Christ. You see, the resurrection of Christ, who defeated the last enemy, which was death, means something for us on this Sunday morning today. It's not just something for the future. It means something for us now. A.W. Tozer said this, I cannot give in to the devil's principal deceitful tactic, which makes so many Christians satisfied with an Easter celebration instead of experiencing the power of Christ's resurrection. It is the devil's business to keep Christians mourning and weeping with pity beside the cross instead of demonstrating that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. I want you to listen closely to me this morning. We are not, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are not destined to live lives of defeat. We are not destined to live lives where we're always living in our brokenness and our shame. We are destined to live victorious lives because Jesus rose from the dead. Say amen if you believe that. Far too many Christians are walking around and wallowing in self-pity. And there are some that, that, that are attracted to that kind of preaching, but you're not going to hear it here. Because I believe that if Jesus rose from the dead, that he transforms your brokenness and you can walk in the victory that he provided for you. So the Lord is my strength. He protects me, he equips me. And today we're gonna to learn how he exalts us. First Peter 5, 6 says, therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. There's three ways that he exalts us in this text. They're all pretty simple, and they all kind of fit hand in glove. But number one, he exalts us by reversing our predicament. He, he does what I like to call a divine reversal. He turns things around. How many are glad when God turns things around in your life, right? Look at what David said, Psalm 1843, you've delivered me from the strivings of the people. You've made me the head of nations a people that I've not even known are going to serve me. You see, God turned things around for David. Those who once were his enemies, those who once were his masters had become his servants. They had enslaved David, but God had given David the victory and he had reversed it. David was now on top. He was the master. And his enemies had become the slave. Over and over again, that's why David said, you have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You've made me the head of the nations, a people that I haven't even known are going to serve me. And by the way, is that not the story of the resurrection of Jesus? What a divine reversal that was. 
Pilate had him crucified. They shoved a sword into his side. Blood and water came running down. They didn't even have to break his bones because he was already dead. And they placed him in the grave. How many are thankful death could not hold him? Aren't you thankful for that? So Peter, on the day of Pentecost, in his sermon, he says this. Look at what Peter says. Him, that is Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, he says to the Jews, you have taken by lawless hands and you have crucified and you put him to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. And I love this line because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Peter's saying you all shouldn't be surprised that Jesus came out of the tomb because he's the prince of life. And it's not possible that the Prince of Life be held by death. You talk about a divine reversal. Places him in a tomb and three days later, he comes out and says, I am he that was dead, but I'm alive. And behold, I live forevermore. And I hold the keys of death, hell, and grave. He changed the predicament of Jesus in this incredible divine reversal. But here's the good news today, God reverses our predicament as well time and time again. How many are thankful for that? He does it when we're saved. Maybe the best description of what Christ has done for us in changing our predicament and reversing our situation is found in Colossians 1.13, Paul said, He's delivered us from the power of darkness and he's conveyed us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Do you realize that the day you got saved, God changed your predicament? Come on, somebody say man, if you're thankful for it. He changed your predicament. You were bound in the kingdom of darkness, but the resurrected Christ transferred your residence from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. He absolutely changed your predicament. It was a divine reversal that took place the day you were saved. He's going to do it one day in the resurrection. Looking forward to that day. When this mortal puts on immortality and when this corruption puts on incorruption, when I have hair and height, I'm looking forward to that day. I mean, that is a, don't say man now, but that is a divine reversal. You understand? It's a big one. But he's going to change it in the resurrection, mortal, immortality, corruption, incorruption, never to die again. That is a divine reversal. It is a change of our predicament. But don't just wait for that. He's doing it now. He's reversing our emotional struggles. You've not been given a spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of sonship whereby you can cry, Abba, Father. He reverses our financial predicament. You can move from being in bondage to debt to being abundantly blessed if you learn to give generously and with a cheerful heart. He can reverse the overwhelming stress that 
creates all kinds of issues in your life. Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Psalm 119, 165, we will have great peace because we love your word. Again, many Christians just wallow in the old life, but I'm telling you, Jesus came to change your predicament. How many believe that? He is our strength, and this divine reversal sets us free from where we were. He can reverse our doubting hearts. Doubts are had by all. One person said if you take all the doubters out of the Bible, it would be a very thin book, and that's the truth. Thomas doubted, Peter doubted, Abraham doubted, Sarah doubted. Man said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He doubted. But God wants to reverse our doubts. There's this great text as a remedy for our doubts. Look at this in Isaiah 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? They're saying, God, you don't even know what's going on in our life. Why do you say, God doesn't know? And my just claim is passed over by my God. He doesn't care. Here's God's answer. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he doesn't faint. He is not weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord. Time in His presence. Serving Him. Waiting on the Lord is time in His presence, but it's also serving Him. A waiter waits on those that they are serving. When we spend time in God's presence, and we serve him, he reverses our doubts. He exalts us by reversing our predicament. Now, can I just tell you something? Let me just get this right down to where we live. Reversing our predicament or us walking in the reverse predicament takes time. It takes patience and it takes love. But God is willing to give that time. I don't know how you all are at Christmas. It's kind of fun to put Christmas decorations out. Um, how many know it's not as much fun to put Christmas decorations back, all right? I, I have a friend who uh, posted this on Facebook on January 17th. Um, I jotted it down. I hope I can read my writing. Here was his post, November 24th. I can't wait to get these light-up reindeer out of the attic and put them in the front yard. Let's sing carols as we dress our home in festive exterior illumination. That was November 24th, January 17th. These God-forsaken reindeer are still in the yard. Can we just have a friend come by with a pickup truck and haul them off to the dump already? So how many have ever felt like that, right? And, and I put lights out and, um, and put them all around the house. And um, I hate untangling lights. Anybody else with me hate untangling lights? I am so glad when I plug a set in, I always plug them in before and find out they don't work um, because I don't 
change one bulb or if, if one's not working, we throw the whole thing out and I can just buy new because I don't want to take the patience of untangling the lights. God's willing to take the patience with us to disentangle our fears and our doubts and reverse our predicament. Aren't you thankful that he reverses our predicament? Secondly, he exalts us by empowering our witness. It's divine empowerment. Here's what David said, as soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. This is a testimony of David. David said, as I take over a nation, as God gives me victory and they become my servants, they listen to me. He uses the word, they obey me. The word in Hebrew looks like sama, but it's pronounced shama. It means they hear with attention. They listen and they submit. David is speaking about how those who previously opposed him because God has now exalted him, that they now listen to him and submit. Specifically, this happened in 1 Samuel 27. David had fallen out of favor with King Saul and he went down to the Philistines who had been his arch enemy. And he was welcomed by King Akesh. He asked for a city. He said to Akesh, can I have a city to dwell in? And King Akesh said, you can have a Ziklag. It can be yours. And the people there rallied around David. God had not only reversed his predicament, but God had allowed his enemies now. He had empowered David with divine empowerment so his enemies submitted to him and listened to him and obeyed him. Now, while David is speaking clearly about himself, there are also messianic implications here as well. When Jesus came into the earth, he was rejected by his own. John chapter 1 and verse 11 says, he came into his own, but his own received him not. The Jews those who were to be friends of Jesus, those who were of the same heritage, rejected Jesus all the way to the cross. But Jesus reminded his disciples that there were other people that were presently his enemies that were going to be open to him. In John 10, 16, Jesus said to his own disciples, there are other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they're going to hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. You know what Jesus is saying? Those who were previously my enemies, the Gentiles, they're going to hear me and obey. See, that, that, what David is saying, he's not only talking about his own life, but he's prophesying to the Messiah. Those who were previously his enemy are going to hear. They're going to be attentive to his voice. And they are going to obey. The great commission was that we to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, not just the Jews. And the foreigners, those who are not Jewish, are going to obey and submit to Christ. And one day, Paul says, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And we read in Revelation that people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue are going to be around the throne worshiping the Lamb. And so even my enemies 
Not only do you strengthen me and exalt me, Lord, by enabling me through my trials, but you empower my witness. My enemies listen to me as well. But what about us? What are the implications for us? As our strength, he will embolden and empower our witness. Can I just ask a question? How many would like, honestly, to be bolder in your witness for Christ? How many would like that? When you're talking with unsaved people, I'm not talking about obnoxious. I'm talking about bold. You're confident in your faith, and, and you feel the Spirit's anointing. All of us want that. This comes with spirit baptism, Acts 1.8. You'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Our witness is empowered, and our words are enlivened to make impact. We need, how many need the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be effective witnesses? Henry Blackaby says, moderate success in ministry is a spiritual hazard. It can make us content to live without the manifest presence of God. I don't want to be moderately successful in ministry. I want to walk with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want my witness to be empowered by Him. Alan Redpath said this, in many Christian circles, the Holy Spirit is either neglected, forgotten, or misunderstood. The one who has been given to unite the body of, the Christ, body of Christ is the center of controversy. This is a nettle which ought to be firmly grasped. So often Christian work is so rigidly programmed that it seems we need no longer depend on him. And yet Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And an A.W. Tozer really strikes at the heart of the issue. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from today, from 95, today from the church, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. How many would just say with me, we need the power of the Holy Spirit again? Would you say that? We need it again. He will give us divine empowerment. He will exalt us by empowering us over our enemies empowering our witness. And number three, and I'll quit, he exalts us by reordering our perspective. Divine vision. Here's how David ends the psalm. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me, delivers me from my enemies. You also will lift me up above those who rise against me. You've delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and I'll sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to the king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. This is really just a summary of David's reflections. Here's what David has said. God has protected me from my enemies. God has equipped me to fight. God has exalted me in their midst. It's kind of what the 23rd Psalm says. He'll spread a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. David said, he's done all of that for me. He's reversed my predicament. He's empowered my witness. So in all of this, David said, because of all that he's done for me, he has reordered my 
perspective. I see things differently now. David said, he is my rock, like no other rock. David is saying things like, he's the one at work. It's clearly not me and my expertise. He's the one in charge. It's not my enemies. He is the one alone who is deserving of my praise. See how God reordered his perspective. David is recognizing it's not my expertise with my weaponry. It's not my smooth tongue. God has empowered my witness. God has avenged me of my enemies. God has made them obey me. God is the one who has done this, and David's perspective is reordered. And he says, you are my rock, and you alone are worthy of my praise. In all of this, God had been faithful. And David knew that he would continue to be. Can I just tell you what he did for David? He will do for us. How many believe that to be true? Great deliverance he gives, verse 50, to his king. And he shows mercy to his anointed, to David, and his descendants forever. If you belong to Christ, you are of that same seed. And he will bless you as well. He has exalted me by reordering my perspective. The Lord is my strength. I want you to stand with me if you would. I'm gonna bring this to a close over the next couple of moments. So often, as you can see on the screen, we find ourselves where the psalmist was. Overwhelmed by the enemies the giants, the lions, the bears, our own failures. Don't raise your hand, but how many sometimes feel overwhelmed by your own failures? Past and present, your own weaknesses. We find ourselves right where David was. Our critics who are quick to point out the weaknesses we already know. those who even wrongly accuse us. We find ourselves there often. We can say with David, actually, let me ask you, can you say with David, the Lord is my strength? Have you allowed him to reverse your predicaments? Are you allowing him to empower your witness? maybe most importantly, are you allowing him to reorder your perspective? How do you see things? Are you always seeing things negatively? Not just you, but are you always seeing other people negatively? Are you always seeing the problem instead of the victory, the potential? God wants to reorder some perspective in your life and in my life today. He's our strength. He exalts us by reversing our predicament and empowering our witness. But if it doesn't reorder our perspective, we've not allowed God to go all the way. I mean, there there are many folks that have had great victories. God has reversed their predicament. He's empowered their witness, but they're still a negative Nelly all the time. Everything's bad. I can't get out of this. I'm always going to be defeated. Look at what the enemy's doing. Can I just say as your pastor, 
for 23 years, I think I maybe earned the right to say to stop that. Would you stop that? If Jesus rose from the dead and we can walk in his resurrection power, let him reorder your perspective. Somebody who believes that, say amen this morning. Rosa Parks, you all know the story of Rosa Parks, one of the most famous names in the civil rights movement in 1955. She refused to give up her bus seat to a white man and she was arrested too because of her defiance. In her book, Quiet Strength, Parks writes, when I sat down on the bus that day, I had no idea history was being made. I was only thinking of getting home. But I had made up my mind after so many years of being a victim of the mistreatment my people suffered, not giving up my seat and whatever I had to face afterwards was not important. I didn't feel any fear sitting there. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. It was time for someone to stand up, or in my case, sit down. So I refused to move. In an interview about the historic day, Parks corrected some misconceptions. She said this, people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I was not tired physically or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I was not old, although some people have an image of me as being old then. I was 42. No, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. And I just want to know, are you tired of giving in to the enemy today? I hope you are. I hope you're tired of the enemy just beating you up and bringing up your past and telling you you can never be anything. I hope you're tired of that because the Lord is our strength. He, he will empower our witness. He will reverse our predicament and he will reorder our perspective. He'll do that for you today if you're tired just getting by and you want to walk in the resurrection power of Jesus today is your day to do that Father thank you for your word and Lord I pray there are people in this room that are tired of giving in to the enemy tired of it done with it we're early in this new year and I know just as soon as they make some kind of fresh commitment the enemy is going to throw something at them, but I pray, Lord, that it will be a whole new experience for them. They'll square their spiritual shoulders back and take every thought captive and say, the Lord is my strength. He is my rock. And he has reversed my predicament, empowered my witness, and reordered my perspective. And I am walking in the power of the resurrection of Jesus from this day forward. I pray, Lord, that all across this room that will happen today. Give us the boldness to take that step, I pray in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, no one looking around. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, before you can take the step I'm talking about, you need to know Christ. You need to have surrendered your life to Him. And if you 
say, Pastor Kevin, my, my heart is not right with Jesus today. I'm not living for him, but I want to give my life to him today. I want to serve him. I want to walk with him. I want my sins forgiven. I want to walk in new life. I want to be everything God designed for me to be. I want to give my life to him today. Is there anyone who would raise a hand right where you're at and say, pray for me? Anyone in this room who would say, pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to surrender my life to him. Anyone in this place today? Anyone in this room? Let me ask a second question then. With your head still bowed, how many would say, I'm tired of giving in to the enemy and I'm going to stand in the power of God's word and the power of his resurrection and I'm going to let him reorder my perspective and reverse my predicament and empower my witness. I'm going to walk in the victory that God designed for me. How many would raise your hand and say, today's the day. I'm making that move. I'm stepping into that victory today. We're going to sing this chorus. There are hands that were raised all over the place. We have plenty of time, much like we did last week. I'd love for you to come. If you'd like to come and stand, and we can just pray together. If you raised your hand, you can start coming right now. I mean, there were hands all over the place, so you're not going to stand out or look odd. But I, I'd love to pray with you. Can we just, as we sing it, if you raised your hand, just make your way to the front. We're going to pray together. Lead us, Pastor Clayton, if you would. The grace of God has reached for me. Just step out and come, if you would. Just get as close to the and front. And me from the raging sea. And I'm safe on the solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. We have some come and stand behind these. Just get as close to the front as you can. And others, come on, everyone, just move to the front. Some of you come and stand behind them. Lay hands the on them. will help me scale these walls. We need some others to step out.
impossible for death to hold Jesus in the tomb and because he lives he said we live also you didn't come to bring us life that fumbled around and was defeated every other day you came to give us abundant life you came to allow us to walk in the resurrection power of jesus lord yes. that doesn't mean we don't yes. have enemy attacks that doesn't mean that the enemy doesn't nip at our heels it doesn't mean that the enemy doesn't try to discourage what it means is you reorder our perspective and we begin to see that even though the enemy comes in, that like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord has raised up a standard against yes. the enemy. We begin to see that there is power and victory in Jesus Christ. And today, Lord, we claim, we lay stake, we lay claim to our victory in Jesus Christ. I pray for everyone who has come to the front today. I pray that this day, Lord, this day, they would know that their predicament has been reversed that they will know, Lord, that you will empower their witness. There are some that have come, and Lord, they've come because they want their witness to be more emboldened. They want to be able to speak with confidence and truth and boldness and authority. And I pray, God, that you would empower their witness. And all of us need our perspective reordered. Help us to see. Help us to see the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that those who have come today will never again be the same, but that they will walk in the power and the victory that was provided them in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are our strength. Lord, that you protect us, that you equip us, that you exalt us. And we give you praise for that. Would you just do that right now? Just thank him that he is your strength. Yes. We magnify thank your you, name. Lord. You are we our salvation. You. You, are you are our strength. Our strength. We exalt you and magnify your name, Jesus.